So every single plan that we do, we include a life insurance illustration. We include a long-term care illustration. Their management came into the advisors and they said, um, you now are required to have all your clients' insurance policies in your file. Last year, for the first time in all the years I've been in this business, someone asked me about my life insurance situation was my stockbroker. I've had meetings with my personal banker, not one single word about insurance. It was always about what I wanted to invest in. There would not be enough evidence to convict you if you were on trial 10 years from now for being a financial advisor if they looked in the files. You'll have the conversation about insurance with every single client, having a process that is repeatable. You do it regardless. That right there is the tool that will get you out of sucking at life insurance. I asked the advisor, do you have life insurance? And they'll say, oh, yes, well, why do you have it? Do you think it's important? Yes, let's help some people. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Staff is Mattel, Industry Leadership and Success podcast series. This series focuses on industry leading performance, success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives. In this episode called Servicing the Protection Need, we will discuss the critical importance of not only helping clients grow assets, but also helping them protect their assets. We will talk with five subject matter experts on subjects ranging from leveraging the middle market dominance of banks for life sales, removing life sales obstacles, the single best way to jumpstart life sales, and effective long-term care discovery. This episode is made possible by support from Westland Financial, and we would like to thank them for their partnership in producing this podcast. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts, Scott Staffis and Bob Mattel. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Industry Leadership and Success called Servicing the Protection Need. I am Scott Stathis. I will be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself momentarily. So I've always said that banks and credit unions, if they want to up their game, if they want to increase productivity and have a client experience that creates raving fans, they need to align their entire organization around servicing the six core financial needs of their clients, right? And those needs are savings and liquidity, credit, income now, income later, protection, and legacy. And that's it. If they focus their organization on servicing those six core needs, then they will increase their productivity. They'll have loyal clients, et cetera. So for this episode, we're, we're focusing on the protection need uh, because in our opinion, if an institution isn't helping its clients protect their assets, they're not doing their job. So it's a very important need that we've tended to drop the ball on in this channel. So that will be our focus today. So with that said, I'm going to turn it over to Bob Mattel, who has a passion for this subject. And Bob, let's have you introduce yourself and then have uh, the rest of the panel introduce themselves. Take it away, Bob. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. I am Bob Mattel, and I am the co-host of today's podcast, Servicing the Protection Need. And as Scott said, that is one of the six core needs a very important need that I've spent the last 25 years in the bank insurance channel trying to help solve. In fact, Scott and I wrote an article over a year ago entitled, Why We Suck at Life Insurance. And today, we hope to help solve that. A special thanks today also to Westland Financial Services, who have since 1974 been serving the needs of the bank 
financial services programs in the industry with an assortment of financial planning products and strategies. Let's introduce our panel, Chuck. My name is uh, Chuck Chillingworth. I'm president of Westland Financial Institutions. My partner, Gene Pastula, and I have been working together since the mid-90s, and our focus is strictly on fixed life insurance sales in credit union and bank environment. Thank you, Chuck. And now, Darcy, my old friend, Darcy, who I've known for 100 years. <laughs> Hi, I'm Darcy Clayman. I'm the National Director at Westland Financial. Uh, I'm responsible for bringing on new bank and credit union relationships and also supporting them. Uh, almost 100 years, but okay. Frank. <laughs> Hello, I am Frank Rayhead. I'm the Vice President at Connect the Wealth Management. At Connect the Wealth Management, we have $2 billion in assets under management, about $8.6 million in production per year. We currently have 13 financial advisors, two associate advisors, um, and it's a pleasure to be a part of today's podcast. And thank you so much for joining us today. And now, David. Thank you, Bob, and good day, all. My name is David Semula, and I have the privilege and the responsibility of serving as the sales manager for Safe Financial Services, which is located at Safe Credit Union. We manage 600 million or so, and we have 11 financial advisors, 12 LBEs, licensed branch employees, and we're going to 40. And this year we'll do about three and a half million in GDC. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks for joining us. We have lots of questions for you over the next uh, hour or so. From the great state of Wisconsin, Tio. Hi, Bob. Uh, my name is Tio Trandafir. I'm the program manager for investment services at UW Credit Union in Madison, Wisconsin. And our program has 11 advisors. Uh, we have about uh, $500 million in assets, and we should do about uh, $3 million in uh, GDC this year. Thank you all again. And as we said, today is all about protection. And it has been a passion of mine for a long time, having been a program manager, having been a, the president of a life insurance agency, and also having worked for a, a good 11, 12 years at a um, major manufacturer in the industry. So trends in life insurance indicate the middle market is so underserved, and I've spent a lot of my career trying to solve for that. And we're in the bank channel, and we own this part of the market. But we've not really leveraged life insurance sales and opportunities. Chuck, what do you feel are the best ways to just drive growth in financial institution life sales? We keep hearing over and over again that it's tough. What have you found? Well, first of all, the, the institution itself has to, at bare minimum, endorse the sale of it and be involved in promoting sale of life insurance amongst their advisors. If you don't have a top-down supportive management, it's really tough. And it tends to be relegated to a once in a while activity when an FA stumbles across a life insurance case. Almost all the business is going to come through your financial advisors or your platform people. And you've got to teach them to hit singles and doubles. There's a real tendency to try and hit a home run. And then what happens is they, they don't develop the skills that they need on an everyday basis to identify insurance needs and to transact insurance business. And if they don't do the little cases, they're never going to get the big one. A good illustration of that is a, a credit union we did uh, some estate planning seminars for. And we, I was with the program managers and we met with the attorney that was going to do the seminars. And he was kind of iffy whether he was going to do it. And he said, well, what credit union are you from? And he told him and he said, well, 
Let me explain it. We're just finishing up a $150 million second to die case with a client. It's a major brokerage that's doing it. He said, but in the discovery process, we found out he had $2 million at your credit union. He said, do you think if he had $2 million at your credit union, he might have more money elsewhere? And that was a, the revenue on that was $10 million. Now that doesn't happen very often. And those are exciting stories that people like to hear about, but that's an advisor that was constantly talking to his clients about insurance and, and insurance needs. And then he stumbles across the big case. So if you're not talking to every person about insurance, then you tend not to see the big cases at all. And then I think that you have to have a, um, a constant repetitive exposure to sales ideas and success stories. You know, we have very short attention span and a very short retention span now. We just learn to edit and forget information instead of absorb it. So you have to constantly, we do a weekly email out to everybody on basic concepts. And uh, so I think that's really important. They need to hear about other success stories because they inevitably, when they hear one, they go, well, how did they do that? What did they do? What, what was the secret there? So I think that's important. And then the other thing we've done is we've completely focused on guaranteed products. And I think one of the uh, impediments is that when you start getting to complicated, more complex products and variable products, the advisors don't understand them. If they don't understand, they get afraid of it. And then they may have a problem down the road with managing it. So we've stuck with guaranteed uh, premiums, guaranteed benefits. It's simple. And once they're enforced, they're problem free. And so it becomes a very positive experience on the part of the um, rep. And things are complicated enough. Insurance products are, for, if you're not dealing with them every day, they're complicated. I can't tell you some of the best reps we have. They're constantly calling and saying, I'm really sorry to ask you this question again, but how does this work? And they're some of our best reps. So if you're not seeing it every day, it gets complicated. So by focusing in on guaranteed policies, and there are great ones out there with the best companies, you're making it a lot easier for it to be a repetitive activity. And it really does seem so simple. We we're just talking with, with another program manager that was referencing a direct mail program that they were using that over the past year has doubled production and life insurance just by alerting customers that it's available. And too often we find financial advisors don't ask that question, which is again, one of the six core needs. David, I was wondering, I saw you nodding before. What, what can you add to this? Thanks, Chuck. Well, I would echo much of what he has mentioned, but we also focus on a retail strategy all the way to the C-suite, especially with the CEO and combining their efforts lots of lending. So there's auto loans and home loans and commercial loans. They they have a separate strategy, that, but it's coordinated and we're working to coordinate this better. So for the institution to address it absolutely needs to come from the top. And then our call center, where we take thousands of calls, we're each day helping them understand the importance and the need that exists, as well as what they can say to make those introductions. We'll talk about some of the other areas later, but Advisor apathy is a big focus of mine, but the good news is there's hope. There's lots of great tools and we're focusing on that. And I, and I, for me, what I can control is myself and what my influence can be. And that's, that's all of our advisors. And, and the one thing I'd like to add to that is not only are the tools available, but the demand is there. Limra just completed a study that said 75 million Americans are more likely to buy life insurance now than before the pandemic. 
it's it's a focus. People are talking about it. There's more of a need. There's more of a focus and attention to it. So um, with that, let me let me pass it over to Scott for our second question. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you. So before we get into the second question, I'll give you another success story. And uh, you know, Bob and I were just talking to the president of a very large program, and he told he told us a life insurance story that was very interesting. So this is a good example of what life insurance can do for you if you're an advisor. He uh, he knows somebody that passed at 35 years old, very unexpectedly. Won't go into the details why that happened, but the point of this is that his wife dis- discovered that he had a half a million dollar insurance policy and that's what saved the family. And it was through Allstate and unbeknownst to the other advisors that this guy was working with, there was another half a million dollars sitting there that all of a sudden went to Allstate too, because the Allstate guy was an advisor, right? And he helped the family. He he protected the family. So he got all the rest of the assets too. So that tells you what life insurance can do for you as an advisor as it relates to gathering assets and client loyalty and building a uh, relationship with your important clients. And advisors tend to neglect life insurance because it's too hard or they don't like having the discussion or it takes too long to get paid, but they're missing the forest through the trees, right? They, They don't realize the bigger picture, what it can do for their book of business holistically if they help their clients protect their assets and prepare for unfortunate events. So so I just implied that there are obstacles, right? So so let's go to that. What do you think the biggest obstacles are to selling life insurance through banks and credit unions? What has been standing in the way? Tio, maybe you can give us your lead off thoughts on that. Absolutely. I was chuckling a little bit when you were making the comments uh, right before, and you, you mentioned some of those uh, obstacles, but it also takes me to a conversation I had just last night with one of uh, our younger advisors. He said, maybe clients should go to Allstate uh, you know, for their insurance and I can do their investments. And I made the exact same point that you made. Um, you, you, know, you want to, to get the relationship. We want to be the trusted financial advisor for our, our clients, and that includes insurance. Uh, so many times advisors think that it includes just investing. No, it includes in insurance as well. So you, you were asking me some of the big obstacles that I've seen. And of course, you know, we hear this all the time. Well, I don't want to be an insurance salesman or, you know, the process is, is just too long. By the time they get the medical and I have to stay on top of it, uh, it's just a, it's a long process or, um, well, I just don't feel comfortable talking about it, right? Because it's part of discovery. That's a very important uh, aspect. Sometimes they say, well, you know, the program does not have a good insurance sales process, which is definitely something that that uh, a program needs to make sure that they have the resources available to help the advisors as they do the, the sales. Chuck mentioned earlier how even seasoned advisors call him all the time to ask questions with regards to uh, a sales policy, how it works. Those are some of the big obstacles that I hear. The the reality is also, and Chuck mentioned this as well, is if you don't do it every day, it becomes a difficult process, right? You have a hard time as an advisor to go through the process if you don't do it all the time. So do it again and again, and have that, that conversation with every single client because only 54% of Americans have life insurance currently. 
uh, I believe 16% of people also say that they have insurance needs that are not met, right? That's about 41 million citizens that are looking for life insurance and who better to serve their needs than banks and credit unions, right? We already have a relationship with them. Totally agree. I have some follow-on thoughts, but I know Darcy, you do, and Frank, you do as well. So Darcy, why don't you give us your thoughts and then Frank, sure. you can give us yours. Yep. Teal, you're talking about the process and you're right. The, they perceive that the process is going to be too long, too complicated. They're going to be responsible for the medical, all that. You know, Chuck and I sat in on a call with an advisor just last week. <clears throat> she hadn't written life insurance in a long time. And one of the biggest obstacles that she had was that she was uncomfortable asking the underwriting questions. This is a personal friend of hers. She didn't want to get that personal. So I think it's important for these advisors to have a partner that's going to help them with the underwriting process, taking the response, you know, doing the application for them, asking those tough underwriting questions. And as far as the follow-up, a partner that can come in and do all the, the case management down to policy delivery. So that eliminates part of those obstacles anyway. Yeah. Frank? Yeah, Darcy, I mean, you're... Both Darcy and Tia, you're both absolutely right. You know, it's, and I don't want to call it obstacles. You know, I think a lot of it is the education and the not knowing of our financial advisors. They think that doing insurance replaces all of the rest that they do. And we have a saying here that if I'm not, if we're not helping our members with everything, we're helping them with nothing. So if I'm only taking care of building assets and not protecting assets, then I'm not doing my job as a financial advisor. I had a conversation just the other day with one of my top advisors who said, it just takes too long. It's just too drawn out of a process. But the other piece of it is, you know, most financial advisors, especially in the world that we live in today, is instant gratification. I do this piece of business. I basically know what to expect, right? I know what's going to happen. Over time, it will grow. Well, when we do life insurance or we do long-term care, and kind of goes back to Darcy's point about asking the questions for those types of policies to actually pay out, not the best things have to happen. For a life insurance policy to pay out, the owner of that policy has to pass away. And that's not the conversation advisors like to have. But there's no more satisfying feeling than letting a beneficiary know, to Scott's point earlier, here's a check you are taken care of. What an impact you make on a member's life when you can tell them that they're protected and they're protected because of the things that we did as an institution. Then those beneficiaries, again, to Scott's point, stay with you forever. So the impact is great, but it's hard to get the advisors to understand this is what has to happen, but it's better than anything you'll do by making sure the insurance is part of a complete plan. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, they don't they don't like having a discussion because something bad has to happen, right, for the policy to pay out. But you know, you have to almost have when you enter into that discussion. Listen, we're all going to pass away, right? It's a given. That and taxes, the only two things. So. If I'm not helping you plan for that, you know, and either when it happens to you or your loved ones, if I'm not helping you plan for that, then I'm not doing my job. You know, the, the excuse that it takes too long. Well, that's a glass half empty attitude. The glass half full attitude is that 
Yeah, it's a process, but that gives me an opportunity to deepen the relationship with that client through that process. Because I'm going to hold their hand through that process. They're going to end up trusting me more at the end of that process. I will be very honest with them and tell them, listen, this, this process is a pain in the butt, but I'm going to help you go through it. I'll hold your hand all the way through. You're going to be better off for it in the long run, right? So it's a relationship development opportunity, frankly. But the most important thing, and I think this is a message that we have to communicate as clearly as possible to our advisors is where is advice going, right? If you look at the direction of advice as a financial advisor, I'll tell you exactly where it's going, right? Tio said, um, you know, you want to strive to be a trusted advisor. What does it mean to be a trusted advisor? Well, in the uh, ultimate scenario, it means that you're managing all of your clients' assets. Now, I didn't say notice all of your clients' investable assets. I said all of your clients' assets, period. Even illiquid assets you're helping them with. If you're truly the trusted advisor, you're probably also helping them select what college their kids are going to go to, whatever. That's besides the point. But the, the point is, if you're really good as an advisor, you're going to be very holistic in, in, in working with your clients. You're going to be managing assets that you're not going to get a commission on. You're not going to get an AUM fee on because they're illiquid assets. They're not investable assets. Where advice is going is fee for service. Okay, so take it takes too long and I don't make enough money out of it out of the equation. And the way an advisor should be looking at things is if I'm doing my job as an advisor, what is that job entail? Right. It entails helping them manage their assets and helping them protect their assets, period. That's it. You're only doing half of your job if 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 you're not helping them protect their assets. So. When advisors realize that, that that's, where the, that's where the puck is going, and if they don't go in that direction, they're, they're going to be out of business in a relatively short period of time. And once they get that holistic picture, and it's not about the income or how hard this is or how hard that is, but what, it, what should I do with, for my clients if I'm going to be that trusted advisor and manage all their assets, it kind of changes the paradigm. And that's where we have to go. David, you have some Thanks, thoughts. Scott. I can see you itching well, there. It, it reminded me of... A story that I heard from another sales manager, when I first heard it, I thought it was pretty harsh. And then as I thought about it a little more, I knew it was pretty harsh, but effective. So what he said he did was he took out, and I, I followed this, and it worked one-to-one -one in a team setting. He had them take out their business cards. Most of them would say financial advisor. And I asked them to look at that. And then I, I said, frankly, I've looked at our production and where we are. We're not advisors. We are investment gatherers. We have a large recurring fee income initiative and success in that area, but we're not being advisors if you're not having this conversation. And then to take that one-to-one -one and help break down well, what, what are the gaps, what are the objections, but you, you mentioned it. I, I had to call them out. There would not be enough evidence to convict you if you were on trial 10 years from now for being a financial advisor if they looked in the files. Good job. Good way. Good way to put it. Would not be enough evidence to convict you of being a financial advisor. <laughs> Chuck, you, you have some thoughts? Yeah, a little history lesson. One of the reasons um, that's not reported that long-term care sales really took off uh, wasn't just because they came out with products like MoneyGuard and Link Benefit type products, but in the late 90s, a major, major wirehouse got sued and lost because the children of a longtime client of his who died and both were on long-term care and he was insurance licensed, didn't even propose long-term care insurance to the clients. And the children sued him and won a $600,000 settlement. 
And that made the rounds really fast around the country. And so that's one of the reasons that long-term care and the linked benefit market really took off in institutions because they realized, hey, it's not just a business opportunity issue. This is a fiduciary liability issue. So I think it's really important. And if you look at where the where things are headed from a compliance standpoint, you better include insurance offerings in working with your clients. Yeah, agreed. And 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 you brought up long-term care. We want to get into that in a little while. It's a good story. Bob, I think it's your turn, right? Uh, yeah, yes, it is. And David, what you were talking about in terms of investment planning has been my pet peeve for, for years. And I mentioned it at every roundtable, every conference, everywhere. We are investment planners. We are not financial planners in this industry. So I just wanted to hammer that home once again to we our should be audience. financial planners. Right? We should be financial planners. We say we use financial planning software, but we use investment planning software. And everybody does it. And it's it's something that we all have in common. And that's why we suck at life insurance. So let's <laughs> let's uh, change change gears here just a little bit. We all have different strategies to help us um, with this life insurance challenge and this life insurance sales process. There's a lot of choices available. Frank, give us a feel for having Westland as a partner and how it has affected your life insurance sales. Well, we um, I've worked with Chuck now for roughly about five years here at Connecta and a previous credit union where I was at. And I don't want to admit, but Will, that even way back at CalFed, if you remember that name, oh Chuck's boy. name was often brought up. Um, and I know somewhere in my CalFed life, our paths crossed way back when. But, you know, we talked a lot already about advisors saying it takes too long, advisors not having the knowledge when, we, when I came over to Connecta, we weren't doing any life insurance, and we're still not doing anywhere near the life insurance we should be doing. But one of the first things I did was contact Chuck and say, hey, we want to bring you on board here at Connecta, because what Chuck and Westland services do is they make it easy. Darcy's point about having to go back and having to go back, and I have this policy, and how do I analyze it? All the advisors do now is get on the phone, talk to Westland, send them over the policy and get an analysis of that policy. Is there anything better? We get suggestions as to what's better. Basically, we find the need. Westland does all the work. They make it real simple. Not to mention the fact that you get personalized service. You're going to get more training. You're going to get more personalized service than you're going to get with the broker dealer that you're working with. You know, our broker dealer works with a lot of independents. They work with a lot of financial institutions and it's basically investment oriented. Westland specialized simply with insurance and they give us that. And when I need it, all I have to do is pick up the phone. We're having a meeting. I get Darcy, I get Chuck, I get all of the resources of Westland at the snap of my fingers. But you referenced CalFed. Uh, and that was, I, I just recently posted an article back from 2002 that talked about CalFed and the bank that I worked with, Dime Savings Bank. So talk about blasts from the past. Two <laughs> best practices programs that um, really set standards for bank programs that no longer exist. Those standards right now, if, if a bank does 3% of their revenue in insurance, we're considering them almost a good program. There are a few out there that are hit 5 and 10%, but they're few and far between. Uh, but Chuck, for established advisors who are not focused on life insurance, mm -hmm. what's the easiest way for them to start? And what's the most typical 
uh, type of help that uh, they need. I know there's a comfort level issue. I know they believe there's five core needs, not six core needs. I know they want instant gratification, but tell us, you know, what, where do you start? Well, I think that's the vast majority of financial advisors. They're, they're just not doing anything. And so they don't know where to start. In my view, the easiest thing to do and the most effective is to have them to do policy reviews with their clients. Uh, it's the most non-threatening approach to a client about a new subject. In other words, they're not selling, I'm going to give you, an, I'm going to do an analysis and help you understand what you own. And, um, and so our premise is, and we've been doing a lot of this, we have a program called Care Contract Analysis Review and Evaluation. We have all the forms, they just get us the information, and then we work with them and their client in terms of helping them understand. One of the best things that can happen out of that is you're obviously not going to make um, a sale out of every case. But what it does is it really enhances the financial advisor's reputation in the eyes of their client. They're really advising them. So one of the most fun things is I would say for a third to you know maybe 40% of the things we look at, the person sold them a good policy. Most people have no idea what they own. They bought the policy, they put it in their drawer, and that's all they know. And so it's a great thing to go, you know, the, the person who sold this to you, uh, really did a good job. This is a great policy. Don't cancel it. And then it opens up the door to the insurance conversation because a lot of them have a good life insurance policy, but you don't have any long-term care insurance. So can we talk to you about that? And then you really bought a lot of access and credibility. Two illustrations. We just did one where um, it was a, a doctor and her husband, and they had three large life insurance policies. And we analyzed them and we said, you know what, based on your age and everything, the way these are structured, you shouldn't touch them. And they were shocked because they figured we'd tell them how terrible it was and how they, we ought to do business with them. But they did realize in the process, they didn't have long-term care and, and working on two very large long-term care cases. And the other one is a, we serviced a major warehouse in, in Hawaii and their management came into the advisors and they said, um, you now are required to have all your clients' insurance policies in your file, copies of them. And it was it was a mutiny. I mean, these advisors were angry and they said, and it's required. So within a year, all your annual reviews have to include copies of all their insurance policies because we need to do reviews to make sure. And the, I mean, really people were threatening to leave and within 90 days, you couldn't believe how excited they all were because they had this thought in their head that they didn't want to be the insurance person and that their clients would think less of them because they even said the word insurance. And what they found out was nobody, people were relieved to come to their financial advisor to find out what they owned on their insurance. And they end up making a lot of sales and it really changed their whole insurance production environment. It seems so simple. Frank, you have something to add to that? Yeah, I, you know, when I, when we talk about the ways that I've used Westland, there's two things that come to mind. One is at my previous credit union and how it truly helps the member, right? We had a member, they were putting together a retirement plan. We got Westland and the team involved. Um, we wound up saving the member a ton of money on taxes, giving them a retirement plan that in the end would wind up paying them so much more income for them and their employees than they were currently getting. And the advisor made her biggest payout she had ever had. It continues year after year because the premiums continue every single year. 
And they're with that credit union forever. And then the other piece of that, Bob, you mentioned financial planning, something that we recently started doing at Connecta. We want to make sure it's a part of every single interaction that we have. So we went to Westland and the team and we said, look, we want to include life insurance and long-term care in every plan. I want an illustration that when I do this plan, illustrations for both those are in the plan. So every single plan that we do, we include a life insurance illustration. We include a long-term care illustration. And numerous occasions, Chuck has actually been on the calls helping to deliver those financial plans to talk about the life insurance and long-term care aspect of it. It's that service. That's what makes the difference. I, I can't agree more. And all of our listeners, rewind one minute and replay that and let that sink in. Because that right there is the tool that will get you out of sucking at life insurance. That's, it's so simple. Just And keep remembering that policy reviews that Chuck was talking about before are simple. Anyone can do it. It's a simple question. Can you bring in your policy for us to review it? And if they don't have it, they're probably one of the 75 million that Limbra found that want it. So you're going to win either way. But I'm off the soapbox and I'm turning the soapbox over to Scott. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. So, so a couple of thoughts, Frank, let me, let me ask you a follow on question to that before I, I go to where I want to go here. And I'll give a, I'll give a plug to the help desk at, uh, at Westland. I, I've heard the help desk referred to as the easy button for life insurance, right? And so my guess is if you look, Frank, if you look at your advisors that are leveraging the easy button and those that aren't, is there a significant contrast in, in their business, in the way they conduct business? You definitely see the ones that have adapted. I mean, two of my advisors, I can just off the top of my head, I see long-term care. I see life insurance come through almost every month for those that have, you know, really taken to the quote, easy button. And for the others, Bob brought it up, Scott, you brought it up, Chuck, Brian, everybody's brought up, you know, that policy review. So I just go back to annuities and you had no problem doing policy reviews on annuities. This is no different. So we're slowly starting to get the buy-in that way. But the big piece of it is that financial planning piece and including it in the plans. And you'll notice the ones that have adopted to doing financial planning are the ones that have adopted to doing life insurance and long-term care. Yeah. But it's getting there. It's not easy pushing a rock uphill, but you're doing it so good, so good for you. Chuck, you had a follow-on thought? Uh, no, that's all good. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. He said what you were going to say. All right. Well, what I what I'd like to do is get into what what are the best ways for advisors to find those policy review opportunities in their book. But before I go there, let me let me ask a preliminary question to that, and maybe it's not preliminary, but I think it's relevant. And that is, what does a good life insurance needs discovery process sound like? Advisors always say they don't like to. It's a hard discussion to have. I don't agree with that. I think it's an excuse. I think it's an easy discussion to have once you get over that psychological hump of thinking it's hard because it really isn't that hard. But what does it sound like? What are the, you know, what are the leading questions? How do you initiate that, that discussion? David, do you, have, do you have thoughts on that to lead us off? Absolutely, Scott. Thank you. You're right. Belief drives behavior. Our beliefs drive our behaviors. It's the same for, for advisors. And I think it depends. 
if you think about two groups of advisors, even the seasoned financial advisor visiting with an existing client, that's a different discovery process. We've talked about it. We, we started and do have the sales assistant say, for our next meeting, have your life insurance. Put it off on the sales assistant, make it easy, right? The easy button, make it simple. Let the, even the seasoned advisor run downhill to start. And then from there, they're expecting. So the advisor knows, I better understand what this is before we meet. That is, that's where the discovery process um, sounds differently, where it says, now let's take a look at your life insurance. Thank you for bringing it in. Here's what we have. Maybe they've done an enforced policy review. I may have had to start you know, teaching those advisors, what is that? What is a policy review? And what does an enforced illustration mean? And just the super basics they've never done there. So that discovery process starts before, but then they talk about how it fits in. So if that's an advisor meeting a new client, it's different. This is an expectation. When you come, this is what we do. We look at everything. So the discovery process is, is in the preparation. And the first few questions are, when's the last time you had this reviewed? What's changed since you bought it? That's a that's the simple part of a, of a policy review for an existing client or a new or a new client. If it's an LBE or a branch based advisor who's meeting a client for the first time, it's a very simple depending on the age. Every single person in your 20s and you see a mom with children. Tell me what happens if something happens to you. That's the discovery process. It starts yeah. there and asking is the best place to start selling. Right. It's not telling it's asking. And then the, for that LBE to be able to ask the next questions, one of our, our favorites is, uh, what do you have in place for family protection? And it's a super easy question to teach. So they'll remember, you see a family say, by the way, what do you have in place for family protection? And it, it works because it opens that conversation. And so making it simple, that discovery process, whether you prepare for it, so the client's expectation is there that we're going to talk about it or give them a super simple question to ask. That's the psychology that, that I'm using for an advisor. It's really not that hard to get the conversation going. Just learn the right questions. The other one is, is a tell me. Tell me your strategy if something happens to you. Let's talk about that. And COVID has given us, I believe, you know, as, as dark and, and rough as it has been, a fantastic excuse to use it. And we'll be able to use it, but the echo will diminish over time. But right now is the best time. You know, how have you been doing? Have you been able to stay healthy? Who do you know that, you know, had a challenge with it? Let's talk about this so that if something happens to you, we're prepared for that. Well, that's it. how it starts. I believe it starts in their belief, right? The drive their behavior. I ask the advisor, do you have life insurance? And they'll say, oh, yes. Well, why do you have it? Do you think it's important? Yes. Let's help some people. That's that's. Perfect. That's beautiful. I love it. And then, you know, those two, two questions are, are simple and effective. So what do you have in place for family protection? Great question. That's not a hard question to ask, right? Tell me your strategy if something happens to you as the primary earner for your family, potentially, right? Frank mentioned the um, annuities that many advisors have sold or they've inherited to service perfect opportunity. One of the things we've done, maybe we'll talk about it later, but as a firm, we've made that simple to them for them to digitally and now fed into Salesforce, fed into their opportunities, the annuities that are out of surrender. I won't say the tens of millions that we have. And even a seasoned advisor has said, well, I can't really do anything with a 3% New York life mainstay that's out of surrender. Can I? With the guaranteed minimum? 
And I said, what do you like better? 3% or 100% for that client if something happens to them? And we're that discovery process is a little different. Let's take a look at why you bought this annuity in the first place. We've done well for you. So we restate our value. It's doing great for you for its purpose as a money market tax shelter, tax control, tax deferred. But not if that's your strategy for long-term care. What is your strategy? And then that can be 1035 into other solutions that may be more asset protection based on the asset, asset-based long-term care. So that discovery process, it depends. It's the adult diapers answer, Scott. It yeah. depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you I'll give you my thoughts on a positioning statement that allows an advisor to ask those questions because it positions the advisor in the proper light. So if I'm an advisor and and you're a client or a prospect, I would say something like, you know, listen, protection is a need that is often neglected, but but very important, right? I help my clients protect their families and assets against loss of income streams in the event of a primary earner's passing. Uh, so this type of protection covers risk, risk exposures like debt repayment, providing for a surviving spouse and children, fulfilling economic goals and responsibilities like mortgage payments and college, you know, paying for funeral expenses, et cetera. It's a, and, you know, other types of protections that I, that I help my clients with are, are protecting against disability, long-term care costs, even personal property. Our, our institution helps with that, right? So that's a positioning statement. That's pretty simple, but that's just saying that's part of my job, right? And once you lay that groundwork, then the types of questions that you just uh, mentioned are uh, a, a perfect, a, a, a perfect next step. You know, it's a little bit different if you're if you're talking to somebody who's a business owner or an important person in a business. And you can say it's important if you're a business owner or, or a key person in a business, right? Where your death or a partner's death might wreak ha- financial havoc on the business. I help my clients with that, right? So these positioning statements are a great lead into a, a, a very profound discussion you can have with your clients that engender trust because the clients realize through that type of discussion that you have their best interests in mind, right? So, all right. So let, let me ask the question that I just inferred or referenced before this part of the discussion. And that was for policy reviews, which I know are successful because we've seen it when we do best practices studies, we see that the, the programs that are experiencing the deepest penetration of life insurance sales into their client base are the ones that do policy reviews, hands down. It's the simplest, most effective solution. So how do you identify as an advisor those the right you know policies to review in your book of business? A- any strategies there that that you guys leverage? Tio, do you do you want to? You have some thoughts on that? You want to lead us off, and I'd love to hear from the rest of you. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. So, however, before I go there, as I was thinking about how you talk to to a client, I remember a story that includes uh, my former boss. And he was working with one of our advisors and he did a uh, investment review with the advisor and the wife of my boss was there as well. And the conversation about insurance came up, life insurance. And my boss had been in the financial industry for a long time. He said, no, I'm good. You know, I've taken care of everything. And the advisor said, okay, let's put everything together. So they included it in the financial plan. And it looked like it, it was going to be uh, a need for another uh, about half a million dollars of life insurance that the financial plan uh, was calling for. So he said, no, I'm good. You know, I've done the numbers myself. I'm good. So the advisor 
essentially turned over to the wife and said, if he were to pass away, what would you do? Here are the numbers. Guess what? They walked away with another half a million dollars of life insurance. So um, it is really talking to the clients and expressing this is your gap based on everything you've told me, best based on all the assets you have, based on all the needs you have, everything you want to do from a legacy perspective, this is your gap. Um, and, and that's so important. So going to your question now, of course, making sure that, that you review the right policies is important. But you know what? You don't know what people have. That's why you basically have to go client by client by client by client. Um, you can't just say, oh, you know what? This is an A client. I'm going to do the review with them, right? It is important to, to spend time with every single client. It's important to have a process. Recently, we, we hired a brand new advisor. Actually, she was an assistant with us and she moved into an advisor position. And she was talking to me about financial planning. And I said, you know, the best way to do financial planning is to do it for every single client. You have so many advisors that say, well, unless they have, you know, $250,000 with me, I don't do a financial plan. And I said, a financial plan is needed for everyone. And when you get in the habit to do a financial plan for everyone, then you don't miss anything. The same is true for insurance. Unless you, you have the conversation about insurance with every single client, again, having a process that is repeatable, that you do it regardless, like, like you know, you get in your car, you drive, you know what to do. The same insurance has to be part of, of your conversation. It's important to also get to really know the client uh, as part of the policy review. Really understand if they have a policy, understand why they bought it in the first place. What are they trying to protect? Do they have a spouse? Do they have children? Do they have grandkids? Um, do they have a charity? You know, you just you just reminded me of another good question because of the uh, some of the stuff you just said. And, and that question is, so what does it mean to you to take care of your loved ones? So th think of where that discussion can go if, if it's an honest discussion between you and a, and a client. And it, it can easily go in an insurance direction and other directions. But that's the bottom line, right? These, these clients make financial decisions based on emotional elements, and the biggest one for most people is taking care of their loved ones. And part of that discussion is, well, what happens if you're not around, right? That's right. absolutely right, Scott. And, and I think too, so many, so many advisors are, are saying, well, they have something at work. Well, what exactly do they have for, for, uh, for life insurance to their work? Is it one time their salary? Is that going to be enough to take care of a family of three or four? And, you know, you, you need to, to have a deeper conversation. Again, do they understand that that policy at work is based on everybody's age and it's a group policy, right? You may be better off having your own policy away from work, something that you can control, something that you understand exactly what you have and how much it's going to cost you, especially when we talk about term, right? 20, 30 years, depending on what the need is. Again, it has to be a conversation that the advisor 
has with the client. Yeah, agreed. Darcy? Thank you. To Tio's point about talking to everyone, regardless of what their assets are, whatever. So I have a personal banker. I have an insurance agent. And for the first time last year, someone asked me about my life insurance situation was my stockbroker. I've had meetings with my personal banker, not one single word about insurance. It was always about what I wanted to invest in or annuity here or annuity there, but not one single, in all the years I've been in this business, the first time last year, doing a review with my stockbroker. Wow. And what I find interesting is that you refer to this person as a stockbroker. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, right. I mean, because that's what they used to be, but now that stockbroker is obviously more of an advisor if, if, if he or she asks yeah. that question, right? We sat down with their team and we went through everything financial. That's the way it should be. Wow. Yeah, perfect. Right. Frank, did you have a thought too that you wanted to contribute? Yeah, just uh, really fast a couple of things. I mean, I think Tio and Darcy know that you have to talk to everybody. And it's really a simple question to David's point, starting with tell me, tell me about your current life insurance policy. You only got to get two answers. I have one you know, it's this or no, I don't. And that opens the door either way. Great. When was the last time you had it reviewed? They've never had it reviewed. So we get that started right away. You do that with every single person you meet with. You know, the second piece of it is how many of our advisors, you know, they know how to handle objections. How many have heard I have another advisor, but yet they're still able to do business with someone. It's the same process. You have a policy in place now? Great. Let me show you why I can help you with that policy and beyond. We have an easy button. Sometimes we choose not to use it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so another way to look at this is that for most advisors, the best way to build their business by far is more business from existing accounts, right? More business from existing clients versus trying to find new clients by far. It's more efficient. It's more profitable and they'll generate more GDC doing it that way, right? So with a policy review strategy, coming at it from a more business from an existing account standpoint, my guess, and I don't know if I'm right, but, but, but and you tell me, my guess is that if, if an advisor is good at book segmentation, they're going to realize that those clients that probably have the most significant need to protect their assets are the ones with more assets. So if I were an advisor, my thinking would be that I'm going to I'm going to first start my policy review strategy by looking at my A clients because they probably have a bigger need because they have more assets. Is that a true statement or have you found that that's not the case? So Tio, you you had mentioned you do it for everybody, but if you're an advisor that's really looking at generating more business from exist your existing book, do you want to prioritize certain segments? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. And I, I want to clarify, we don't do it for everyone. We should do it for everyone. You know, I see it both ways. I see what this, the statement that you made, um, you know, you want to make sure that your A clients are taken care of. But many times um, it's your smaller clients, especially when we talk about term life insurance, that they need probably most, right? Because clients with larger assets, there's there are assets to take care of the families, whereas a young f a family of four, 
they may not have the assets for the surviving spouse to take care of the family if something were to happen, especially to the to the main breadwinner. So, you know, I think it's different insurance needs that each segment has. Permanent insurance for uh, probably uh, wealthier clients, long-term care insurance, right? Uh, there, you know, you want to protect the assets. Uh, whereas for clients with small amount of assets, it's probably term life insurance that they that they need again. But we need to meet the clients where their needs are, and that's why I I'm a strong believer we need to talk to every single person, and the conversation is definitely different. Well, you mentioned long term care, which is I think where we want to go to next. Uh, Bob, you you have a question on that, right? What is the current state of long-term care coverage among a, a typical uh, institution's client base? And I know, David, um, you have some thoughts on that, and I think Frank does as well. But David, what are your thoughts about long-term care, including the hybrid products and, and the, other, the, the opportunities that are really there you know, to meet that particular segment of the client's needs? Thanks, Bob. And that, my take on the, on the current state of the, of the gap is it is an unknown opportunity. Certainly, we get lots of industry data. We know people are underprotected. We know there's the silver tsunami. We know these baby boomers are the first people who are living this long with this much money. Frank's talked a little bit about, we know there's a gap in long-term care coverage. So I love that. I'm going to ask my advisors to find out what is it. And I think it is it is an immense gap. And the, the question about what we should do about it is, I've started with each individual advisor I think we can't know unless we ask. And just like a good doctor, we've got to do the diagnosis for each individual client, find out what the gap is. It's really not rocket science, the same as what we do for any other need. Ask the questions, determine the need, determine the resources to meet that need, make a recommendation and, and call them to action. So what we've done are a couple of things. We have many deep data dives. One's a liquid net worth. So it takes all of the data that was checked on the box, balances it against the assets that a person has, prioritize them by A, B, and C. So segmenting, lots of things we've just talked about. But then individually by advisor, one-on-one, identify those downhill slopes, an existing client long-term had a fixed annuity for 10 years out of surrender. This is how we close the gap. We say, when you purchase this, this was for accumulation. It's done well for you. Let's see how it fits into the road ahead. We help them see and learn the beautiful sunsets they want to see and make sure they don't go down a road that has a bridge out. And we tell them, looks like there's a bridge out on this road. Let's address it. The good news is it will help us. We focus on a specific age with that file, 55 to 70. We provide them with the data. I help them set a goal. I hold them accountable to the goal. We have a scorecard that we use like a GPA for an APA. I call it an advisor scorecard. We don't tie that to money or anything. We just say, these are the important things to do. And I teach them. I've got a no annuity left behind presentation, five things to do with an out of surrender fixed annuity. We try to teach them about index universal life or those strategies that have riders. They know an indexed annuity story. It's the same story, but it's better. And those are some of the things that we we use combined with get the client to tell you, what is your strategy? Tell me what your strategy is. We'll give them more facts the 70 slash 65 fact, 70% of people over the age of 65 will have a long-term care need. And the words matter. I, I learned this from one of our one of my partners. They stopped using long-term care and talk about 
the long-term need for support. Long-term care has this big stigma oftentimes in an advisor's mind. And it certainly has changed as distribution of products has changed. Talk about hybrid products, especially where you can use that asset to provide for a need that may be there. I think you nailed it with with words matter. Long-term needs, absolutely. And I know Frank has something to add on there and goes back probably to your CalFed days, which was a powerhouse in terms of long-term care as well. Yeah, well, CalFed was a long time ago. So I try to remember, retain as much as I can from those days. I don't know if I still can. But, you know, when I think about long-term care, it is, I mean, I look at it as the single biggest need of our membership base by far. You know, they have done a very good job, a lot of them of saving, of saving for retirement, of looking at today, but they haven't done a really good job of looking at tomorrow or looking into the future other than retirement. And long-term care is something that if it's not taken care of, turns retirement into a moot point. It's the single biggest need because people don't wanna talk about it. But yet every single person knows somebody personally, that has needed long-term care or is even currently utilizing long-term care. And to David's point, we don't call it that. Sometimes we'll refer to it as that long-term need that you mentioned, but extended care. Long-term care, you think of that home where you're stuck in a, in a room, and that's not what it's about. It's if you do need it, it's you know how you want it, not how someone else decides it for you. The single biggest need of our membership. And if we don't address it, all the way back to Chuck's point in the beginning, compliance-wise, if you're in arbitration and they go, tell me why you didn't offer long-term care, and you go, um, well, I didn't think they'd want it, that's not the right answer. You should have every single member you sit down with, show them an illustration, and have them sign if they don't want it. And that keeps you safe from compliance, but what you're going to find out is that they truly need it and will get it. I'd agree, Frank, and the ways that policies and the manufacturers of these products, they understand the need. They know it's there too. For those that do seminars, Social Security continues to be one of our most widely signed up for webinars. And if you think about Social Security, it gives us an opportunity to say, let's talk about security as you age. Many of us know the facts that that's not going to be enough, but that is a huge opportunity to talk about your retirement strategy and what that looks like, including protecting against the what if. We ask what if a lot. Chuck, I know you have something. Well, yeah, we have a concept piece that we put out that the insurance you're buying today is not your grandmother's life insurance. And that a lot of policies, you can use the the death benefit for an income stream. And there are a lot of creative ways. A lot of companies are coming out, putting riders on their policies that you can use that death benefit while you're still alive. We've been successful positioning long-term care as an income stream and a tax-free income stream in retirement. And that's a little closer to the FA's world that they understand. And so that, that's, an, that's another concept that they can use to, um, for them to feel more comfortable talking about it instead of bedpans and all that kind of stuff. Um, that, that, hey, here's a unique way to create a tax-free income source in retirement. And if you look at all the illustrations, they all have internal rate of return reports at the end, which shows the client, if you invested this money, we're asking you to pay a premium for, here's what the rate of return would have to be to equal what you're going to get in this benefit on an after-tax basis. And it's very impressive. And it's really 
that particular piece of the illustration has tripped the decision-making and more clients than I can think of. And, and absolutely, long-term care is definitely one of the more complex products. But I think finding the right partnership, because a, a lot of uh, credit unions and banks really don't have the expertise. So I think it's really important to, to choose the right partnership if you're going to go down a long-term care strategy and to really build that out in a program. Scott? Yeah. So one last comment on long-term care. I mentioned the question, what does it mean to you to take care of your loved ones? Very relevant for long-term care too, because the, the one thing that um, some people might not really think about is um, the effect of the long-term care costs on their kids who would otherwise inherit money, right? Because that that money gets eaten up at $10,000 a month. And that's probably about the average, maybe $11,000 a month now. The, that money that you've accumulated, you want to pass to your kids? That's gone pretty quickly if you're if you're in a long-term care need situation for for a few years, right? And uh, we all know somebody that has been in that situation. I do, and man, it's it's depressing when you see a vacuum cleaner to the wallet of an old person, right? I mean, that's the way I'll put it. It's it's just so frustrating because you know it didn't have to be that way, right? And so it does affect your loved ones, no doubt. And that's a very relevant discussion to have with with your clients. All right. So let's wrap it up. One last question. Let's kind of do a lightning round question. Um, and it's on technology's impact on life insurance and, uh, and, and on the ability to sell life insurance. So just your, your quick opinions, and we'll go around the horn here. The question is, how important is technology for life insurance sales? The answers are either it's not important, it's somewhat important, very important, or extremely important. So we'll do a lightning round, and we'll start with Chuck, what are your thoughts? How important? Well, I think it's for the future, it's extremely important. For advisors, I would say the Philistines are at the hedgerow. Um, <laughs> we're in the bottom of the first inning on these robo-advisor platforms, and there is mountains of cash being invested in them. And I think that's where the industry is headed. They can, they can take so much of the human error out of the process by doing it that way. And so we've been spending a lot of time this year looking at them and seeing how they're growing. It's a little scary for an advisor because the um, technology and the artificial intelligence they have. So if you're an advisor out there, my advice to you is get ready because you'll be partnering with a robo platform, whether you want to or not. And what's going to keep your practice alive is the more lines of business you have with your client, the stickier that client is. If you just have one line, line of business, uh, you're extremely vulnerable to being replaced. So then you're you're partnering with a robo-platform instead of being replaced by one. Yeah. Well, and, and from what I have seen, what I have read and the research that I try and keep my fingers on the pulse of, uh, the, the sweet spot <laughs> will be, and this is the way it's all evolving, the hybrid between robo and human, right? So it's the advisor-assisted robo is, is where most of the money is going to land. Um, so I, I'm with you. It's I think it's extremely important, um, but uh, humans are not out of the equation at all for market share when you're talking market share, right? All right, Darcy. I won't tell you how many years I've been in this business, but back in the day, when you fill out a life insurance application, it was probably 20 pages long. And 10 times out of 10, it would come back incomplete. So I think it's extremely important to have uh, the technology. In a previous life, we had an outstanding platform where even platform reps at banks could submit applications online. 
And there was no way an application could go forward to underwriting, no missing signatures, no missing answers. It was beautiful. So if we can get platform reps to increase their business selling life insurance through technology, fantastic. I'm with you. Tio. I absolutely agree. Technology is a big part of of being successful at insurance. Uh, We talked about many of the excuses that advisors have. One, the process is too long. I don't know what's going on. So with technology, that is taken care of. I couldn't agree with you more. It's important to have uh, that hybrid, the human that can assist clients' needs and then send it through the underwriting process and, and get it approved. All right, David. I also would answer extremely important. So it must be the right answer on the test. Business School 101, <laughs> Marcus Lamon is from CNBC, The Profit, right? People, process, and product. And on, the, on both of the people and the process, technology has just helped us like a knife and hot butter, right? The ability for a platform rep, as Darcy mentioned, to be able to quote something in one minute, push a button and be done and then get paid helped me choose a partner that could could do that. The ability of a solution on a wealth transfer to answer a few knockout questions, find out within five minutes or less, if that could go forward and then a complete digital experience where you never have to sign papers, I choose that partner. And this helps our call center. I'm building out a group of advisors that can take advantage of this. Also help me find partners that will zoom into a client presentation into their home with an expert to help make it easy for the advisor. Extremely important. And they win the business. Those that have leveraged technology and Chuck, the money is coming. There's more dollars coming in. I'm excited about it because we can help that many more people as we remove these obstacles that are inhibiting our success. Yeah. It is part of the easy button, right? A lot of leverage to be had in technology. Frank, why don't you uh, bring it on home for us? All right. Well, I'm not going to leave the course here of extremely important. Obviously, it is. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the easy button, make it easy to do business. You know, part of the reason we're not doing more life insurance is that we view it being a longer, more difficult process. Technology helps a process. I don't know how many of you out there have refinanced a loan recently, but you're not filling out 50 pages of loan applications. You're effectively getting a complete app and you're hitting a button to sign your name. Same with doing your taxes nowadays. So it's not that process that you dread. And that's where we're going. It's pressing a button to get approved, right? And as we continue making it easier, Scott, to your point, we'll never get away from human contact. I believe that having somebody help me through any process is important, but that might be a Zoom call now. That might be a phone call. So as we continue to make it easier, hopefully what goes with that is more people truly being taken care of and making a difference in people's lives. Yeah. You know, I, you made me think of what, you know, what I call mailbox money, re- recurring revenue. <clears throat> and uh, there's so many examples of the, the combination of human and technology that gen- ends up generating mailbox money. And, and I'm just thinking of some recent experiences I've had, even with technology, frankly, even with producing podcasts, when Bob and I were first learning how to produce podcasts and how to publish them, I, I went through a process where I talked to humans to figure out how to do it, chose a technology t- company, talked to humans there, they set me up, then it was set it and forget it. And they get money from me every month now, 
but I have somebody to call if I need them. I don't need them that often anymore, but they get money from me every month now because mm-hmm. we're publishing podcasts on their platform. And they are, they were the perfect combination of that handholding, human handholding and the technology support that allows me to do, you know, Bob and I to do what, what we do, but it's the same thing across the board with, with any industry. Life insurance is, is, is no different. You know, if you, if you're a good advisor and you handhold that client through the initial process, you know, after that, it becomes mailbox money. You're, <laughs> you're collecting checks every month, essentially, right? And there's nothing wrong with that because you're providing a valuable service and you get paid for your value. That's the way our economy works. So that's, that's a good thing. So I, I think we've covered a lot of bases here and you have all been very generous in contributing your thoughts and perspective on this discussion. Uh, Bob and I are going to be getting deeper and deeper into helping the the channel increase life insurance sales. Stay tuned. There's a number of things we're doing in that regard. Um, but I want to thank you all for, for your participation. Again, I want to thank Westland, so Chuck and, and Darcy for your support in, in um, making this episode possible. And I want to hand it back over to Bob for his closing comments. Well, yes. Wow. This has been a great discussion. But let me just talk to our listeners for just one one moment. I have five key takeaways for you so we can stop sucking at life insurance. (laughs) Number one, policy reviews. Just write that. I know some of you might be driving, so pull over, get out the pad from the glove compartment and write these five things down. Policy reviews. Number two, it's financial planning, not investment planning. You already have the software, use it. Number three, there are six core needs, not five. The one you leave out is the most important. Number four, Limra tells us 75 million Americans are looking for life insurance. Some of those are your clients. And number five, you don't have to do this alone. What you need to do is find the right partner. All right. Well, thanks again to our panel for their participation in today's podcast. Thanks again to Westland Financial for their sponsorship today. And thank you again to our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast series, which is called Industry Leadership and Success, and our other, which is called Untangling Fintech. And while you're at it, sign up for the monthly BISA Trend Watch series as well. Until next time, enjoy your day. Thank you and get a life. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. Also, don't forget to check out our two other podcast series, Untangling FinTech and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Finally, we'd like to again thank the executives who joined us today, and also express a sincere appreciation to our friends at Westland Financial for their support of this podcast and for being so enjoyable to work with. Thank you. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us again for future episodes.